in 86. And M. Martin wrote the first book of what became a cult. Now it's time for Babysitter's Club Club. Hi, hi. Hi. And welcome to the Babysitter's Club Club. Club. A podcast in which I, Jack Shepard, and I, Tanner Greenring, talk about the classic novels of Princeton's own Princess Anne Matthews Martin. Uh, the novels in question are the novels in her great sweeping epic, The Sitter's Cycle, uh, of which we are on right now, book number 58, Stacy's Choice. Just tearing through these bad boys. We're tearing through. We're almost, I think we're like a third of the way through. Who wrote this one? So I, I looked in the back. I didn't get a um, – the author would like to thank name uh, for his or her help uh, in preparing this manuscript. So that m- leads me to think that this is, this, is, uh, this is pure Anne. Okay. I didn't feel like a pure Anne book. It felt a little phoned in. This is often a, a symptom of a ghostwriter coming in and helping Anne out is – Inconsistency two... between A and B plot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There, was, there was no relation between the two plots at all. Yeah. And – a plot resolved about two thirds of the way through the book. Yeah, it was and weird. B plot just continued to meander. B plot just like went out of control. Yeah, got real crazy. Yeah. Um. So I think that a couple things that point to it being Anne. One, when Anne needs to come in and punish Stacy because she's like turning her eyes towards New York. Someone wasn't set up for me today. I'm sorry, I didn't My... put a fucking coaster. My writer wasn't had hadn't been met. <laughs> I got I I've got your obscure Japanese anime doll. The only thing I turned on your vintage not right sun away. Ray. Not right away. <laughs> I had to ask for it. And now I'm slamming my can down like it's Woodstock right, over well, here. <laughs> Is that how you picture Woodstock? <laughs> Bunch of people. A lot like, of people were going very so drunk. crazy. They didn't have any coasters. Yeah. <laughs> Anne swoops in sometimes when she needs to teach a babysitter a lesson, and that's a big part of what this book is about. Stacy needed to get put in her place. And then the second thing, I think when A-plot doesn't meet B-plot, Anne is trying to tell us to dig deeper. I think one of the things we're going to have to figure out in the course of this episode is what's the connection between these two plots? You know who else is trying to tell us to dig deeper this week, Jack? Who? Let me describe a scene to you. Okay. Tell me if this happens. Okay. Tell me if you remember this from the plot of the book. Uh-oh. The Babysitter's Club, girls, mm-hmm. uh, Marianne, Claudia, Christy, Dawn, Stacy, okay. are all sitting around what looks like a cafe. The original four. Yeah. Okay. There's five. Oh. Okay. Uh, Marianne is eating French fries. Claudia is eating an ice cream cone. Christy is eating French fries. Dawn is drinking some kind of soda, and Stacy is drinking some kind of soda. They're all laughing. Okay. And having a very good time. It seems like maybe Don just told a really funny joke because they're all looking at Don. Huh. And it's in a diner. It's in some kind of diner, some kind of shop. Yeah. Fast food place, maybe. Tanner, this does happen in the book. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. Let me read you a passage. Okay. Hey, let's celebrate. Let's go shopping on Saturday. We'll all come with you, Stace, and we'll help you choose an outfit. And then we can eat downtown. Mm-hmm. We can go to that new place, added Marianne. Ye oldie ice cream parlor, said Christy. She pronounced oldie like this, colon, oldie. Uh-huh. 
Marianne giggled. Well, it looks like ye oldie ice cream parlor, but I think it's called the Rosebud Cafe, and it serves more than just ice cream. Whatever it's called, let's go there, said Claudia. I peeked in the windows the other day, and the ice cream and sundaes looked amazing. And then they go on for a little bit, and then the, the um, chapter ends. The next chapter has them going on a shopping trip. To Zingy's. To Zingy's to yeah. buy Stacy a dress. You know what they never actually do? They never go to the They ice never cream. go to the Rosebud Cafe. So what does Hodges know? Here's here's what I suspect. Okay. Hodges painted that cover and they added, I think, the Stony Brook lawyers. Uh, fuck, fuck, I've caught your bug. Disease. I think the Scholastic lawyers panicked, went in and added this, like, four extra paragraphs to the end of a chapter. That does explain that whole chapter, which was... A completely meaningless piece of exposition. It had nothing to do with Stacy's choice. Well, and they never go to the Rosebud Cafe. Wow. So it explains this weird, like, addendum to the end of a chapter where wow. it's just like, let's go shopping. And it's like, oh, yeah. And while we're there, let's go to the Rosebud Cafe. We'll get ice cream and french fries and sodas. So that brings me to a second question. Maybe an even more ominous question, which is why are the scholastic lawyers? Whereas previously they never had, now desperately, frantically covering for Hodges Swallow, Babysitter's Club art director and cover artist. In the past, they've just let him get away with these covers that never had, these covers to nowhere. Maybe they just didn't take him seriously. Until. But now, like, the threat is real. They don't want people like us to dig deeper and find out Hodges' real secret. Nothing that the. Scholastic lawyers would need to cover up by adding a false flag chapter into this book. Is there a common thread in these Hodges covers that the girls are all laughing? Mm -hmm. They're all laughing. There's very little background. It's all foreground, and it's all taken up by girls, babysitters. And they're all just laughing. And they're all laughing. It looks as though one of them has said a joke, Yeah, and the other four are like, (laughs) So what are they laughing at? What do they know? Hodges, they know a secret. <laughs> Maybe Hodges <laughs> they just know likes Hodges that. Is a secret. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it's worth keeping an eye it's, on. It's, it's worth keeping an eye on, Baby Nation. We're not going to get to the bottom of this now. If Hodges is anything like Anne, his his master, um, he is going to thread this out and make it as complicated as he can over the course of the next hundred books or so. Yeah. So we'll we'll check back in. Before we do that, Tanner, should we describe this novel for the Baby Nation? Yeah. Okay. Great. I'll take that as a as a firm endorsement. Seems a little played, <laughs> but uh, I guess if that's what you want to do. All right. Well, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna describe the book, um, and then when I'm finished describing the book, uh, why don't you take a crack at describing the old book? Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> God, this like bumping rave music behind me. They're really hammering that music, huh? Yeah, it's it's boom, like boom, boom, it's boom, boom. Super Baby Nation, can you intense. hear it? Boom boom ba boom boom. Yeah, I can't like I can't complain to them either cuz like I like to wait until midnight to complain to them so I can seem long suffering. Right. But it's only 8:30 here. Right. And they're going to th- they're I'm going to lose my capacity to Baby Nation, to call up the br- Oh wow! I hope you and complain to them. I hope you bleeped that out in the edit there. <laughs> Corner of and Avenue uh, Street. Street. 
Street. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I hope to see you all here soon. Um, how about I describe this book, this novel? Are you ready for that? Yes. I'm going to begin. Edward McGill is one of the most powerful men in New York City. The toast of Madison Avenue, he is talented, charming, and utterly ruthless. His ambition knows no bounds, and he will stop at nothing to wrest control from his enemies. And today, his ascension to ultimate power is within his grasp. All he needs to make it complete is his daughter Stacy by his side. His only daughter. His only love. His only weakness. And when Stacy, a kind, thoughtful girl who is caring for her ailing mother in the sleepy town of Stony Brook, hears the call that she has been dreading her whole life, she must choose darkness or forever face the fact that darkness has chosen her. Stacy's choice. That's what Stacy's choice is. I read all 206 pages of this book. Uh-huh. Never to my knowledge, uh-huh. confronted anything close to a choice <laughs> that Stacy was, was forced to make. Well, that might be part of the point here, Tanner. I don't get it then. What was the book where Anne gave us her theory of justice? It was the one where Claudia fails the test. Claudia and the Genius of Elm Street? No. No. It was the Claudia book prior to that. Claudia and the Middle School Mystery. Claudia and the Middle School Mystery. And it turns out that the Middle School Mystery was that Anne wanted a vehicle through which to deliver to us her theory of justice. Right. And then there was Christie for President where she delivers her political theory. Right. And this book is her theory, complex as it may be, of free will. Okay. Right? Yeah. And determinism. Yeah. Um, so the fact that this book is about choice and is titled Stacy's Choice, and yet in some ways there was no choice. Yeah, there wasn't. It's something for us to delve into. I Should think we're I get gonna, into it. We're gonna dig a little bit deeper into that, Tanner. But first, I want you to describe what happened in this novel. Okay. I'm gonna put sixty seconds on this big bad clock. Uh, During that time, uh, I want you to describe what happened in this book. Okay. I you think ready? I I think I can remember a plot and weird B plot. Yep. Do you think you can do them both? Yeah, I'm going to do them separately though. Okay. I'd like for you to begin now. Okay. Um, Stacy is a young girl growing up in Stony Brook, Connecticut. Her father lives in New York. Her mom lives in Stony Brook with her. They're divorced. Um, Mrs. McGill is looking for jobs around Stony Brook. Uh, she's interviewing at a lot of places. She's she's very tired and and not feeling well. Uh, one day she is at a job interview and she collapses suddenly. Um, it turns out that she has pneumonia and Stacy is forced to care for her. Um, meanwhile, Mr. McGill is is doing very well back in New York for himself. He's the new VP of whatever company he works for. He's invited Stacy to come back to New York to go to a dinner with him to celebrate his success. She is conflicted about whether she should go back to New York or take care of her mother. She decides to go back to New York. Uh for an evening B plot uh all the kids are ordering weird things from the back of catalogs and magazines they all get them and they're all useless and then they all go and decide to sell them time <laughs> I'll, I'll i'll say you got there i'll say you got there um what did I'm, i miss i'm not sure you did full justice to that weirdo of a B plot yeah it was weird We'll get into it, though. Yeah, we'll get into it. I figured we'll unpack it. Yeah. I just wanted to give Baby Nation a... A little little kiss. (laughs) 
<laughs> that sounds like uh, something Pete Laurentiis would do. Yeah. Mwah. Mwah. One thing I do want to talk about. Yeah. Before we dig into this crazy B plot and yeah. also Anne's theory of determinism and free will, hopefully. Yeah. God willing. Yeah. Um, I know what you want to talk about. How fucked up it is that Stacy is dating yes. Sam Thomas. It, literally, I swear to God, that is exactly what I wanted to talk to you about. What? No, this is one of the few notes I have. What the, the hell? F- what the fuck, Stacy? What are you doing? Yeah. Sam is like, what, 16? It's so fucking weird. Here's my note for that. I Like, I wrote down, who the fuck is Sam Thomas? Because I assume that it must be another right. Sam Thomas. And then under that, I just wrote, wait. <laughs> What? Yeah. Sam is my new friend, who is a boy. I hesitate to call him my boyfriend, but, well, we date sometimes. Sam happens to be the older brother of Christy Thomas, president of the Babysitter's Club, and one of my good friends. Stacy, no. No. Stacy. Sam, no. I'm not here to police you, Stacy, or you, Sam. Yeah. This is an abomination. It's also, like, Sam and... What's Christy's other brother's name? Charlie. Charlie, Sam and Charlie are always these like cool figures who live outside of the babysitter's world. Sam is the one who drives Christy to yeah. the meetings, right? And they're always like making goofs. He's got the old junker. Yeah, I think that's Sam. Maybe it's Charlie. Maybe it's Charlie. Either way. Either way. Well, so, but this is also like Anne is fulfilling a promise that happened in the first book. Right. The first book, Stacy like catches feelings for, is that what they say? Yeah, they say catches feelings. Like, I got the feels. Yeah. I got a feeling. Yeah. yeah. So she catches a feeling yep. about Sam. Yeah. Uh, Stacy does. Right. And at the time, I think uh, everybody was like, that's never going to happen. Sam no. is Christie's vastly older brother. Yeah. It's fine. That would be weird, inappropriate. Yeah. And gross. And then so here we are. No warning. No fucking warning. Like, nothing. I don't know if something happened in a super special. I kind of don't think so. No. Just all of a sudden, opener of this book. Also, like, literally the last Stacy book, Stacy and the Ex-Best Friend. Yeah. She was giving Lane shit for dating King, an older boy. Yeah. Like, King is 15, and Stacy's right. like, it's a little weird that you're dating a 15-year-old. Right, but at least King was, like, cool as hell. Yeah, cool as hell. Who's Sam Thomas? Nobody. Yeah. Yeah, Sam is dating Stacy, Baby Nation. It's weird. Maybe you guys already knew about this. That's all. That was, that was. I swear to you, that was the thing I wanted to bring up. I didn't like it either, and I hope it doesn't go anywhere. I mean, the book ends with, maybe that's what Stacy's choice is, somehow. Like, it begins with Sam and ends with Sam. Yeah. Yeah, at the end of the book, Sam offers to walk her home, and she cannot go home because she needs to catch a train to New York City to be with her father. You know what has Sam at the beginning and Sam at the end and something else in the middle? A sandwich. How does that have Sam at the end? <laughs> it's like the, the 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 beginning is bread and the end is bread and then in the middle there's others. I guess it's like sideways. I just made up a joke, that's all. It was a bad joke. <laughs> I don't think I really got it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Whatever. Maybe that's her choice. It fe- it feels significant that Anne begins the book with Sam. And ends the book, ends with, book Sam. with Sam. And then the shit that ends in the middle is fucking off the wall. Right. Particularly this B-plot stuff. Ugh, the B-plot was... You know what I have to say about the B-plot? Heavenly days. You know what <laughs> I have to say about the B-plot? What? I swan. <laughs> There's something happening to the dads of Stony Brook <laughs> in this book. Yeah. 
The dads of Stony Brook have like they're just gone like, falling apart. Yeah, Stacy is talking to her dad at some point, and he's really upset with her. Yeah, and says, "Here, I'll just I'll pull it up." I didn't realize that we would be walking out before dinner was over. If that bothered you, how come you didn't say so last night? Said Stacy. I didn't want to spoil the evening, but I swan, Stacy. <laughs> he swaned. You kept getting up and leaving the room during the ceremony, and then for us to be the first people to leave, well, <laughs> that's just what he said to her. I swan. Stacy goes and has dinner, the celebratory dinner, with her father and his company. Yeah. But is very concerned about her mother and her pneumonia, and kind of insists on calling and checking on Mrs. McGill a lot, and leaving very early, because she needs to catch a 6 a.m. train back to Stony Brook the next morning. Yeah, they get up at 4.30 in the morning. And Mr. McGill just fucking swanned at the idea of it. Yeah. I'd never heard it before. It is a thing. I looked it up. Nor had Stacy. Yeah. She's like, swanned. In parentheticals, she says, he swanned? What? (laughs) And that's like the not the the only time she brings it up. Yeah. It comes up again when Mal's father says, heavenly days. Right. The kids of Stony Brook are going door to door. Selling all the bullshit they got from the backs of comic books and magazines. Yeah. And Mr. Pike sees them coming and exclaims in this, like, Victorian, <laughs> like, Victorian, like, high gentry lady way. <laughs> like, like he has the vapors. <laughs> Heavenly days. Heavenly days. <laughs> And then Stacy Mal's like, "What?" And Stacy's like, "Oh, don't worry. My dad says I, I swanned. swanned." Well, that was that was what tipped me off to the fact that the first swanning wasn't a typo. That's yeah. just how dads talk. That's just how dads talk in the now. Sitterverse. in nineteen ninety two. Yeah, I mean, Anne clearly did just discover rap music. Yeah, so yeah. maybe like a rapper had said "I swanned" or "Heavenly Days." Yeah, and Anne was like, "Oh, that's cool." Yeah, ninety two. I'm trying to think. I don't even know. It would have to be like Run DMC. Tone Loke? Yeah. <laughs> Will Smith? Who's who's the one who does I Got a Man? The Positive, positive K. Positive K. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it was Positive K. Yeah. Like on the other singles on that album? Yeah. I, I could imagine Heavenly Days being a, a Boys to Men song. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. And obviously it's just discovered rap. This is what I'm talking about. The B-plot goes off the rails. It already doesn't make a ton of sense. Like, the B-plot is, there's a mail-order craze amongst Stony Brook's youth. Right. Like, every single child in all of Stony Brook has become obsessed with ordering random useless shit off they just the catalogs. They just turn it up down just turn Did up you hear that? Ones. Baby Nation, you picking that up? Man. I'm going to write them a stern note. I swan. Yeah, I swan. Heavenly days. <laughs> Heavenly days. <laughs> Heavenly Days bar that is directly below me, and we don't triangulate on this podcast. Uh, I swanned yesterday. (laughs) At the the auditory incursion into my own apartment. I was trying to record an audio drama with my colleague. (laughs) For a nation of babies. (laughs) Um, So the kids are ordering things from the back of catalogs. They're ordering things from the back of catalogs, and... It, like, gets out of control. Right. They're all ordering insane random shit. They eventually get the shit after Stacy's A-plot has just wrapped up and kind of petered yeah. out. Stacy made like, her choice? I was like, is there something wrong with my, my like, e-copy of this book? Because there's, like, 40 pages left. And, like, <laughs> Stacy made her choice. And, like, she, like, made up with her dad. Right. 
And then the the last forty pages of the book are just like we're not done with the mail order crisis. No, nope. they all started getting their things. Um, Vanessa Pike ordered a bust enhancer. Uh-huh. Uh, Nikki Pike ordered a necktie knotter. Uh, Buddy in it, whatever whatever Buddy's Barrett. last name. Buddy Barrett. You cannot remember their fucking last name. <laughs> in uh, bought uh, wrinkle cream yeah and crow's eye remover like they all just buy the dumbest shit yeah. like it's all things that they can get for 75 cents in the back of comic books um a, a good pete larangis level joke later on is that claudia ends up with the wrinkle the crow's eye remover yeah she's like way into it and is like it's obviously really like uses it every day yeah she's worried that she has wrinkles she also like stuff. the the pike kids like really sold her with their hot wraps <laughs> because oh yeah the three pike triplets yeah Take it upon themselves to be like the so they do this like big snake oil salesman kind of thing where they go door to door selling all this shit because they all want to get into yo yo <laughs> yeah uh, and the triplets decide that they are suddenly master like freestyle rappers yeah <laughs> and they develop a bunch of like sick rhymes for all these mail order products I was putting myself in the shoes of what it would be like to be like a suburban homemaker. And have this happen to you, but they show up at people's houses, ring on the doorbell, and then just start like dropping mad freestyles. Yeah. It works, <laughs> and they've got a wagon full of. It worked on Claudia. Just literal garbage. <laughs> Claudia's like bopping her head. She's like, "Oh yeah, my crow's feet are bad." Um, yeah. Jack, this happened to me when I was a kid. Yeah, I growing up in Excelsior, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Excelsior. My friend Nathaniel Boyd and I. Oh wow, Excelsior! You want to know something? And hold hold on to this, because our friend of our podcast, our very early baby boy Joel, yeah, who also discovered uh, the was the first to discover the Doll People series. So he's been mentioned on this podcast before. Yeah. He was like, "I'm your biggest fan," but I stopped listening to your podcast after Tanner claimed that name of guy who was in Babe. The actual actor? Star Trek name of the guy who was in Babe? Zephram Cochran? Zephram Cochran invented the hyperdrive. Yeah. He invented the warp drive. <laughs> and just to walk that back to why I thought of that, the starship Excelsior. Yeah. I think it's the starship that Sulu gets to be captain of. Okay. Yeah. Good. Well, it's also the town on Lake Minnetonka <laughs> that I and Prince- Why are we talking about this? Lived in. Uh-huh. For some years. Yeah. Uh, one day, my friend Nathaniel Boyd and I decided to sell all our old shit, and we went door to door to all our friends' houses. Yeah. And we went to one of our friends' houses and knocked on the door, and his mom, who was always very rude to us, came to the door and was very weird and was like, I was probably eight. I'm surprised I even remember this. But she didn't want to buy anything from us. No one did, but yeah. she was weird about it. And she said, why don't you come back later? And we did, and in the time, in the, like, several hours it took us to come back, she had gone out and purchased a no-soliciting sign. Whoa. And put it up on her door. Your your freestyles were that bad? Yeah, they were pretty bad. <laughs> they, were, they were a lot of swearing. That's so weird, man. Yeah, well, that's the fucking thing. I'm sure this must have happened to these kids. I remember going around trying to sell Boy Scout cookies and people answering. Sorry? I remember. Oh, Boy Scout cookies? No, we sold popcorn. <laughs> Boy Scouts sell popcorn. Do they? Yeah. We sold popcorn. It was Cub Scouts, maybe. They should sell, like, switchblades. 
<laughs> yeah, they should sell fucking like rifles, like outdoor survival gear. Yeah, yeah. totally. But like motherfuckers would answer the door, and I'm like a eight year old weebelow, and they're trying to sell them like two dollars worth of popcorn, and they would be like, "Um, can I get a tax deduction?" <laughs> like, I, I was like, know. "That's the first. The, the, literally, that is the first time I've heard of that. People pay taxes." <laughs> God damn it, what is this fucking... T- I thought I thought we escaped the British yeah. rule, so we oh. didn't have to pay taxes. Apparently we're redistributing wealth over here now? I didn't know this. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least they bought your shit yeah. and didn't just put up a no soliciting sign. <laughs> and, like, yeah. I think we even had to ask her, like, what does that mean? And she's like, oh, it means you can't sell me things. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's funny, because we were just here earlier today trying to sell you, like parts of ninja turtles <laughs> that we had broken off oh, of man. our ninja turtles God, i really kind of have sympathy for both sides of that yeah <laughs> but what does this have to do with zephram cockrum um don't dig yourself deeper man i'm Je- trying to remember if they interfered or if they just made first contact because he had discovered warp drive okay i think it was they made first contact after he had discovered warp drive um what are we talking about Hang on, let's try to walk this all the way back. Rap and discovered rap. And discovered rap. I mean, she didn't personally. No. She she learned fed, about rap. She learned about rap. It's October 1992. Yeah. And so she's There's making There's a lot of topical. mentions of rap in this book. Yeah. And a lot of, like, sick rhymes. Uh, you have examples? I didn't really capture any of the rhymes. <laughs> he rhymes the word awry at some point. With tie. Yeah. And bye. Yeah. Um, you got a tie? It's all awry? Then you should try dot dot dot. That's all the further they got. Also, the triplets are like oh, they're like eight, eleven. Oh, they're eleven. They're like adults. Yeah. Heavenly days. I swan. Um, I swan. Well, burn through all my notes. Look, here's a, here's the thing. I, I'm hoping to tease this apart with you. This is a book that's about choice. It's about free will. It's about determinism. Here's the central the central passage that is all of these things. Yep. No one can see your expression on this podcast. <laughs> you can. It's an audio medium. You can, and your energy changed because of it. <laughs> That's what you want. Yeah. Um, My, I looked very bored for a minute there, Baby Nation. Which would you rather have, I asked Don, all the fighting before the divorce or all the problems after the divorce? This is, this is, can I ask you something, Jack? You like to do these things called trolley problems with me. Yes. Where you try to make me answer hard morality riddles. Mm-hmm. And I always do something right. that Don does in the same chapter, which I think is the only way to win these games, to quote War Games, the 1986 Ben Savage movie. Is that similar to Daryl? It's Daryl. Do you remember Daryl? dot. That's from War Games, isn't it? No, there's another movie that's the same movie. It's like he's a robot. War Games is a robot. He's an AI. Really? I think Daryl's different. Is it different? Yeah. What's the name of the robot from War Games? I don't know. Have you seen War Games? No, but I know what it's about, and I've seen a movie called Daryl that I essentially substitute. Matthew Broderick. I said Ben Savage. I meant Matthew Broderick. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. The only way to win is not to play. Well. Which is what Don says. Like, Stacy hits her with these, these, like, conundrums where she's like, would you rather your parents fought all the time but were still together? Right. Or... Would you rather they separated, but you have like you're constantly torn? That's literally the, two the passage I was just reading. So yeah. you saw that too as being central to Anne's moral theory and here. Don says, "Right." She says, "Neither." Yeah, neither. 
I choose neither. That isn't a choice. Oh, well, then I, re- I, then I remain silent. Right. Okay. So, the only way to win is not to play. Okay. That's the quote from War Games. Okay. So I'm going to put a pin in this because I'm very... Whopper. Excuse me? The name of the robot in War Games is Whopper. Okay, great. And the name of the War robot... War Operations in- Plan Response. The name of the robot in Daryl is Daryl. Great. I'm going to put a pin in this because I want to talk about Daryl particularly, and I also want to talk about this passage. We can talk about trolley problems in a little bit. Which would you rather have, I asked Don, all the fighting before the divorce or all the problems after the divorce? That's essentially a Cartesian view of choice, right? It's this Data binary. analyzing robot youth life form. Daryl. That sounds like Daryl. Life form is one word. <laughs> 1985 American science fiction film. Uh, neither, right? Don says neither. Right. That's Sartre, right? Like, we are the choices that we make. Yeah. I giggled. That <laughs> isn't a choice, right? That's Carnap. That's like the logical positivist, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, that's like like when analytical philosophy takes over and everybody's just like, oh, I'm going to really parse all the meaning of all of these words. Finally, and this is the quote that you caught on to, oh, then I choose the right to remain silent, which we have talked about on this podcast before, Wittgenstein, that whereof I cannot speak, thereof we must remain silent right it's like a walk through historical and philosophical theories of determinism and choice and free will and where do we end up we end up where wittgenstein ended up which is that we don't know like these are things that are beyond the realm of understanding what are you doing i can't i can't i i mean i could just keep talking about it never mind i thought karnak was maybe another rogue ai (laughs) karnap yeah karnak I thought maybe Karnak was the name of the fortune-telling robot from Big, but his name is Zoltar. <laughs> it wasn't even close. What That's what Karnak? you caught on to? I should have said A.J. Ayer. It's like one of the, um, one of the logical positivists. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Do you want to talk about Daryl? I haven't seen it, but I'm looking at the Wikipedia article. It seems really it good. It seems fucking great. Yeah. So, like, I think that what Anne is exploring in general here is this question of... Whether when we make a choice, we are actually exerting our free will, right? You exert your free will by by refusing to make a choice. No, that's, that's the... literally the lesson that Stacy learns in this novel on the surface. Is she doesn't make a choice and it like gets her into trouble and she stops. She loses her sense. No, of she makes too many choices. She flops back and forth. She's like, "I'm gonna go. I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna go. I am gonna go. I am gonna go. I'm not gonna go. I'm gonna go for a little bit, but not very long. I'm gonna go for a long time, but not very little bit." She makes too many choices. She doesn't do what Don tells her to do, which is like. Just remove yourself from the equation entirely. What she needed to do is, and this is this is kind of where we come down on trolley problems. Yeah, you and I. Yeah, which we're probably going to have to explain for the benefit of our fucking readers, listeners. listeners. Yeah. Um, but the lesson of this book is that a Stacy needed to make a choice for herself. That's the existentialist reading of this. That. By refusing to make a choice between her mom and her dad's needs, she ended up hurting herself and everyone because she wasn't like – She pleases nobody. Right. She sets out to please everybody and ends up pleasing nobody. So what she needed to do in the lesson of this novel is that she needed to make her own choice. But the irony there, and this is where I don't know what Anne is doing, is that Anne has specifically chosen to deprive her of choice. 
Like no, she's, she could have, she could have, she could have short circuited the whole thing. I think that whenever Stacy looks like she is making a choice to leave the confines of Stony Brook and go to New York, where she can grow up and exist outside of Stony Brook time and have life and make choices, Anne slaps her back down, and she slaps her back down hard. You the first time Anne, she did it, you think Anne made Mrs. McGill sick. And yeah, the first time that she did it, she literally kills the love that exists between Stacy's parents so right. that Stacy has to go back to Stony Brook against her will. Right. The beginning of this book, Stacy's dad calls up and he's like, hey, come back to New York for the weekend. I'm going to show you the best time. We're going to go to your favorite restaurant. We're going to go see a Broadway play. I'm going to buy you a dress at the nicest Zingies. dress place. You can get, or you can get a, pl- a dress at Zingy's back in Stony Brook Mall, which she chooses. Who wouldn't? And Stacy's like, I'm so fucking excited about this weekend. And what does Anne do? She like strikes Stacy's mom down in the middle of a job interview. Anne is seeming more and more like a malevolent god. Yes. This is at the heart of what I'm trying to get at here, where it's like Anne is trying to have her cake and eat it. She's trying to make us the readers feel like she's giving Stacy a choice to make. But the choice, no that, choice. the choice that Stacy is allowed to make is within the confines of Anne having already taken away all of her free will and all of her like determined reality. Anne has already decided what's going to happen to Stacy. It's cruel and it's strange. So how does my view and Don's view of the only way to win is not to play? Right. How would that manifest itself? How how would Stacy be able to not play? I mean, this is a, this is literally the problem of determinism right where it's like you're you can't win by not playing i imagine it's a problem of war games as well no that's the the resolution to war games oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) um like stacy could go on hunger strike or something that's very uh nihilist view (laughs) like she could kill herself she could just do (laughs) she could do nothing but by not playing she's already playing into Anne's hands mrs mcgill insists i'm fine I have pneumonia, but I'm an adult. Mm-hmm. Go see your dad in New York. Right. And Stacy does, but only goes for an evening. Right. If it were me mm-hmm. in this situation, I would go to Stony Brook train station. Yeah. Catch a train to New York. Just keep fucking going. Yes. Yes. Just end up in like Amarillo, Texas. Yeah. And Anne would have no idea. Yeah. I would just be totally free from her. Yeah. Like the next Stacy book is Where's Stacy? Yeah. And she's just making a life for herself you, in Amarillo. That's fucking good. Or what Anne would do is she would just be like, the next book would be like, Christy would be like, the Babysitter's Club was my idea. I had it with my three best friends, Marianne, Claudia, and Abby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just like it's always been. Just like it's always been. <laughs> the last 56 books. Yeah, just the four of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, like... J.D. Salinger is writing like, oh, did you see that shit, man? Stacy and Dawn on the on the the southern horn of yeah. Texas. <laughs> did you see that? Shit? Yeah, someone thought that possibly. Yeah, Pete Larangis and J.D. Salinger are the same person. Yeah, so Pete Larangis is uh, for new baby bees a common co-writer of these books with Anne. He's penned the most Babysitter's Club books outside of Anne. Uh, and he also is known to write things like the Babysitter's Club movies under pen names where he rearranges the letters of his last name. 
it is also the case that Larangus is an anagram for Salinger. So there is a very compelling theory that Pete Larangus is J.D. Salinger. It was Baby B. Ellen, and it was from the, the Stony Brookite blog. The, na- the person who wrote the, the BSC movie was A.L. Singer. Right. A obvious pseudonym and anagram. Anagram. Of Larangus. Right. Which also happens to be a anagram of Salinger. Wow. What are the odds that two of the greatest writers of the last century... Are you talking about J.D. Salinger and Pete Larangis? Right. Okay. <laughs> should sh- share a last name, and one of them should have disappeared from public view when? for decades. Since when? I think the 80s. Probably about, what, mid-80s? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe around 89? Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Stony Brook lawyers are like, and we have this hot young talent. I would say scholastic lawyers. What did I say? Stony Brook. <laughs> you fucking asshole. <laughs> That's your fault. Baby Nation, I edit it out every time, but Jack always says Stony Brook Lawyers, and now he has me saying <laughs> God, what a what an end for uh, J.D. Salinger there, huh? What a glorious end. Chained to a desk in, like, the scholastic basement. Writing Babysitter's Club movies? Yeah. Movie treatments? That seems great, actually. I would love to write a Babysitter's Club movie treatment. Yeah. We would do a very good job of that. Yeah, we'd write a killer one. Yeah. I would write one about this concept, Stacy trying to escape the clutches of Anne like a malevolent author. You know what mine would be? What? The girls yeah. are all part of mm-hmm. the Space Wolves, <gasps> Space Marines. By Werner Vinge? No, no, no. There's a, there's a group of space marines mm-hmm. called the Space Wolves. Okay, well, there's also a novel by Werner Vinge that is about space wolves, and yeah, it's I good guess. as hell. <laughs> it's, it's called really, A Fire Upon the Deep. It's barely about space wolves. It's literally about space it's wolves. about wolves. In sentient, space. Sentient packs of wolves. In space. one individual is five wolves. <laughs> it's very good, Baby Nation. If you haven't read Werner Vinge's Fire Upon the Deep, yeah, it is really good. I'm going to say two words to you. That is all you need to know about it. Space wolves. Right. Werner Vinge also um, invent, essentially invented the idea of the singularity. Yes. Which is also relevant to these books. Yeah, it certainly is. Especially now today when we're talking about war games and Daryl and Whopper. Wow, it's all coming back. Sentient AI. Yeah. Sorry, your version of the Babysitter's Club movie. We're pitching our versions of the Babysitter's Club movie. I'm going to get on board with yours because it has space wolves in it. Right. And I just want to help you refine it. Yeah. All right. It is the year 3050. Good. On um, board. The um, the girls are 14. They're in the eighth grade. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> that, yeah, that tracks. That tracks. Yeah. Um, they're in space. Mm-hmm. They are part of an elite group of um, super soldiers mm-hmm. in high-powered, high-tech armor. So, soldiers with magnificent, magnificent weapons. weapons. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And they're led by a... Um, Sentient AI. Glorious commander named um, Grand Inquisitor Radowski. Oh, wow. Who has lived through all of the chaos campaigns and has seen the rise and fall of the Immaterium and wow. has been there through the Eldars and... Are you tricking me into orcs? you describing to me the plot of Warhammer 40K? <laughs> <laughs> Because I was so on board for this until it it sounds a little bit too fleshed out. Yeah. Is this the plot of Warhammer 40K? Yeah, I think <laughs> pretty, pretty loosely, but yeah. It sounds good. Yeah. 
Um, do they fight a sentient AI ever in Warhammer 40k? Um, there is a race of sentient robots okay. called the Tauros. Do they have Tarin? someone named Janine leading them? Let me look up. Because if so, well, let's not – you know what would be a good thing to not do is, is, is look it up because races. it was already fairly tenuously connected to this novel and uh, feel like there's a good chance – they're called the Tau. Okay. The Tau are a group of sentient robots, I believe. Well, moving on. I think they're just tech-heavy aliens, actually. Do you know that orcs exist in the... Oh, man. Here's the best part about Warhammer 40K. I just think is that... They just took Warhammer, which was like a, a, a Tolkien-esque fantasy. And they multiplied it by 40,000. And they 40, just made 000. it in the future. Yeah. So there's like space marines, and there's also like space orcs. I mean, it sounds cool. Yeah, I'm not saying cool it doesn't sound cool. I just don't think that it's relevant to the novel. It's cool as hell. There's the Eldars, which are just like space elves. <laughs> Stacy's dad has got it going on. Um, Ed- Edward McGill is a fucking monster. Who's Edward McGill? It's Stacy's dad. Just call him Mr. McGill. No one knows him as Edward. Edward. Edward and Maureen. Oh, you want to know what else is weird? Uh, Mrs. Pike is in this novel, and her first name is finally revealed. D. And Stacy says her name is D, but that's not her real name. I looked everywhere. The only way she is ever known is as D. It's a she has a secret name that Anne has chosen not to reveal. Maybe it's Daryl. Oh shit. <laughs> Maybe it's like Name of the Wind and. <laughs> oh, no. oh no! It's just—it's like a mythology that I'm aware of, but it's like maybe it's, it's like not the, even re- remotely the the related to mythology yeah. where you can't tell someone your real name or else they have power over you. Yeah, I believe that. From Patrick Rothfuss's Name of the Wind. Yeah, Baby Nation. If you like, <laughs> first of all, I'm sorry, and second of all, like if you followed all of that, if you like know your Daryl and you know your. Fucking like early Star Trek history and Warhammer 40k and Warhammer 40k and Patrick Rothfuss books and Patrick Rothfuss books and you like read the BSC up to Stacy's choice like God fucking bless you yeah wait this book reminded me of Needful Things a little bit oh yeah the plot of Needful Things is literally like a a, a small town is taken over demonic by... pawn shop opens up right <laughs> and like everybody just buys like useless crap right. I don't know if there's any like freestyle rapping in it, but there may be. It's been Must a while. Been. It was probably about ninety two. Yeah, things. Yeah, um, Edward McGill is a monster. There are a couple moments in this book. Ninety one. Really? That's when Needful Things came out. <laughs> and 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 <laughs> like he just and it was just like finished Needful Things and was like, well, I've got nothing else I need to do today. Oh shit! There's a Babysitters Club book due tomorrow, <laughs> and I've only written two thirds of it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I need to fill out this book. Uh, <laughs> Uh, a car is possessed by yeah. the spirit of a woman. No, too obvious, too obvious. Uh, dog has uh, rabies. No, no, Anne, think. Um, Mr. McGill ha- does two things in this book. I mean, he does a bunch of things that are fucked up. The first thing he does is this like insane guilt trip where Stacy calls up her dad, and she's like, Hey, Dad, I don't think I can make it to your special dinner. Like, yeah. Mom just got real sick with pneumonia. And he just puts this in, like insane guilt trip on her. Right. And he's like, you are literally the only person. Like, you're, you're supposed to be my dad. You're all I have. And she's like, can't you just take a friend? He was like, I swear to you, on my grave, that I have no friends. I don't have anybody. And I've never loved anyone, including your mother. You are the only person who has ever made my cold heart beat with love. <laughs> right. And, I mean, but if you don't want to come to the thing, I understand. And his new job. 
Or oh yeah. His, his I don't know his if that's job. love. That's like obsession and ambition and like yeah. The other thing he does that is super weird and fucked up is they have this huge fight in the morning after Stacy, in a way that kind of I, I didn't love, makes them go home from this massively expensive party that is thrown in honor of her dad. Right. Uh, she makes them go home early because she's worried about getting up for the train. Right. And it's like, dude, like this crazy corporate entity that who knows what the fuck it is that your dad just became vice president of right. threw a massive party at the fanciest hotel in New York. Like it was a huge banquet hall and everyone was there and everyone is like fawning over Mr. McGill and it it's it, it felt weird cult-ish. high society cult. Yeah. Kind yeah, of things. yeah. That's like what. So we know a, v, a VP, the gentleman who, Scott? yeah, who sings the song <laughs> at the beginning of every Babysitters Club yeah. episode, uh, is our friend, original baby boy Scott right. Lamb, and he is a VP of a company. He's a VP of a company, right. and we know him. Do you think, like, when he became VP, that's that they, shit like, is what happened? Like a weird, like you, you finally made it. Masks, yeah, and everyone was wearing cloaks and just cloaks. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. Did you not go? <laughs> Fuck you, man. There's no way you would have got invited to that. Ah, and I, I wouldn't. Went, have. Man. It was a fucking blast. <laughs> well, all right. Well, I guess that's what happens. When... I was sticking my wiener in things that I had never even <laughs> seen before. <laughs> I'm pleased to hear that. I'm pleased that that's where that went. The second thing that Stacy's dad does that is like super fucked up is like so that. The next morning, they wake up at 4 in the morning. He's like, dude, Stacy, like, why do you have to take the 6 a.m. train? Like, right. And then they get in a fight. So they sit in silence together. Right. Uh, and they're just furious with each other. And then they get to the train station, and they see a bunch of homeless people sleeping outside of the train station. Like being shooed out of the train station. Like, and Stacy's looking at them just like, oh, man, this, this is awful. Dad saw me looking at them. Sometimes now they kick them out of the station at night, he said. They tell them they have to sleep somewhere else. Those were the first complete sentences Dad had uttered since breakfast. He was trying to make up with me. <laughs> That's his, like, in his, like, crazy silver spoon yeah, he's 1% so, like, world. Yeah, he's from the hangover yeah. from his fucking gala they yeah. threw him the where, night before. Like, where they, like, everything was plated with gold. Yeah. Um, and, like, they just gave speeches about him and, like, how big his raise was. And he's like, oh... I, I maybe was a little too harsh with Stacy this morning. I'm gonna lighten the mood with some like <laughs> some like fun daddy talk, daddy daughter talk. Yeah. And he's like, oh, sometimes they throw the homeless people and out Stacey's of the station. Like, Where do they send them? And Mister McGill like just literally shrugs. He's, he's like, like, I don't know. Jesus, Stacy, I'm just trying to make conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Who cares? <Yeah. laughs> good, good, Mister McGill. Good, Edward. You seem like a fucking great guy. <laughs> Heavenly days. Heavenly days. I swan. I swan. Um, oh, Tanner. It's getting, it's getting to be late in the night. Oh, good. I want to go home. We're, I feel like we're opened up. We're being open with each other. Yeah, I just talked about sticking my wiener in things. Yep, yep. Definitely going to cut that, though. <laughs> good. We're being open uh-huh. with each other. I'm going to ask you a hard-hitting question. The question is as follows. Did you, sir, have a... <gasps> Good. Those fuckers in the bar downstairs yeah. are going to call up here. Yeah. Be like, oh, excuse me, we're trying to have a, a loud, obnoxious rave party. 
and someone in your house is yelling burn of the week. We're trying to throw a rave for this <laughs> wealthy man who just became the VP of a company. And you you guys are screaming about birds? Uh, I don't know. You, you had one. Uh, I got a good one, man. There was there was one legit sick burn in this book. I don't feel good about mine. Okay. My father and I hurried out of the station and caught a cab on 42nd Street. Unfortunately, it was now rush hour, so the ride to Dad's apartment that should have taken about 12 minutes took nearly 45. I know Dad wanted to grumble to our cab driver, but he didn't, because the driver had posted a really defensive sign on the back of his seat, right in front of Dad's knees, and it read, Please be aware that, A, I know where I am going, B, I know how to drive, and C, I have a complete grasp of the English language. (laughs) Do you think this cab driver has specifically had Edward McGill in his car <laughs> before? <laughs> like that's the cabbie. It's not Mr. Just McGill that, is that's always a funny just like sign he has. It's just Forty Second like... <laughs> Street, please. The guy's like, take Broadway. I'm from Queens. I was born in Queens. I've told you that literally every time I you've been in this car. I can't understand a word you're saying. Forty Second <laughs> Street, please. That's Mr. McGill. Yeah. It, fucking Edward. <laughs> yeah. And the cabbie's just like, how do I always get stuck with this fucking guy? <laughs> put Every the sign time. up. Yeah. <laughs> put a sign up. Uh, it's Mr. McGill again. Yeah. <laughs> so my burn's on Mr. McGill for being <laughs> For being a fucking asshole. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Both of those things. Yeah. Certainly. Here's my burn of the week. Uh, it's Pike Kids, man. This is a book that like is heavy on the Pike Kids. Uh, Stacy and goes over to Mel's house to take Mallory's house. Stacy goes over to Mallory's house to take. I know who you meant when you said Mel. I was saying it for the record, asshole. And guess <laughs> you mean when you said Mel, you meant Mallory Pike, right? It's it's an edit that you're doing. Yeah. Stacy goes over to Mallory Pike's house. Mal. Yeah, Mal. Okay. And uh, they're the just... pilot of the Serenity from Firefly. Yeah, Captain Mal. Captain Mal. Malcolm Reynolds. That is that who you meant when you said Mal? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and she's like... Because you just said Mal, I didn't... That's who I meant. I meant Malcolm Reynolds, the captain of the Serenity. Right. And she's like, who invented hyperdrive? And he's like, did you mean warp drive? Yeah. (laughs) I actually think it probably is called hyperdrive in uh, (laughs) the Whedon verse. I don't know what's happening anymore. (laughs) And then some space wolves come onto the ship. (laughs) Space wolves in that mythology, Jack. The space wolves are like... You mean the the Reavers? <laughs> yeah, the Reavers. Uh, Stacy goes over to Mallory's house, the author of Le Mort d'Arthur, uh-huh. um, a, a great British writer uh, who sort of took themes from Chrétien de Troyes and other famous uh, medieval writers about courtly love and the Arthurian legend sure. and kind of synthesized them into his great work, his epic uh, the death of Arthur. Yeah, of course. Um, so she, she went over to. We talked about house. that before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is there an explorer called Mallory as well, Sir Edward George Mallory, mountaineer? George Mallory. She went to George Mallory's house at the top of First Everest. Three expeditions. Up yeah, Everest, where she and Sherpa Tenzing Norgay. Yep. Um, were trying to find a like just a room where they could be quiet and do their homework. Right. Um, <laughs> You're really getting there, though. Yeah. <laughs> You're really fighting me. You're actually getting the plot in. And and George Mallory, who uh, in this in this story she calls Mal, just for short, yeah. is like, she says. <laughs> You've lost it. 
She says, she says of him, Mal and I tried to arrange the rec room like a study hall at school. That took nearly 20 minutes, much like this fucking conversation. <laughs> as soon as we were finished and had prudently seated ourselves back to back so we couldn't be distracted by looking at each other, Margot bounced into the room. This is a study hall, Mal informed her sister. A what? A study hall. We are working very hard here. We cannot be disturbed. You already are disturbed, said Adam, following his sister into the room. <laughs> Got him, Adam. Oh, burned him good. Yeah. Well, those are our burns of the week, Baby Nation. Sometimes we burn here on the Babysitter's Club Club podcast. And sometimes... Mal- oh, Mallory McMallard. Is that in the Duckiverse? Uh-huh. Uh-oh. Animated Duck in Mighty Ducks, the animated series, a cartoon by Walt Disney Television. I will not, sir, be dragged in this episode of all episodes where we have just been all over the place in different fantasy universes. My question is will not be dragged the Mighty Ducks as part of the Duckiverse. No, the Mighty Ducks are not part of the Duckiverse. They're not actual ducks. No, No, they are ducks. No, I'm talking about the animated. You think I'm talking about the scrappy hockey team from Minnesota. No. I'm talking about the animated series, The Mighty Ducks, which was about a team of living, sentient... Duck people? Duck people who were all, like, space explorers, superheroes. Wow. Yeah. Okay, well, that's obviously part of the Duckiverse. Do they have any relation to uh, Scrooge, Darkwing, uh, Count Duckula? Oh, I don't know, Jack. One of them was named Mallory McMallard. Seems pretty obvious to me that, yes, they were. And that is the tenuous thread upon which we are hanging our right to talk about this. Fucking hell, they do look cool. Tanner showed me a picture of these these space ducks. They look good. Baby Nation, you've had it all this week. Space ducks. Flashblade. Space pirates. Flashblade. Duke LaRange. That is a good name. They're all called Flashblade? Two brothers. Wildwing Flashblade. Nosedive Flashblade. Duke LaRange, <laughs> Mallory McMallard, mm-hmm. Tanya Vanderflock, Czech Grin Hardwing, <laughs> uh, Canard Thunderbeak, and then they had some human friends. Okay, good. Well, we've done it. Space ducks, space wolves, space pirates, and Stacy's Choice. Tanner, listen, uh, we did it, though. We got through it. We got through a Stacy book. It was difficult. It was weird. Uh, Anne was trying to teach Stacy some kind of a lesson. Don't try to make your own choice and exert your own free will and go back to New York, or I will strike down the person who is closest to you. Right. Um, this is why I distance myself from Stacy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't don't get involved. No. She is not Anne's favorite. Yeah. This week we read a book that was called Stacy's Choice. Next week we're going to be reading a book called, and I need, it's important to me, Tanner, that after I say the title of this next book. <laughs> I already know it. Okay. Next week, we're going to be reading a book called Mallory Hates Boys, Parenthetical, and Jim. Who's Jim? I fucking I, – you headed me off at the pass. I was going to say it's deeply important to me that you not say who's Jim <laughs> after who's, I say this title. Who's Jim? <laughs> we're going to find what out next week. What did you do to Mallory? <laughs> In Mallory Hates Boys and Jim, stick around, Baby Nation. Even if uh, we lost you in this one, stick around to find out who Jim is. I don't think we lost them, man. <laughs> I think we gained more followers than ever. 
Think of all those phantoms we just hit. Yeah, if you like this show. Warhammer. Yeah. Firefly. Name of the Wind. War Games. Daryl. Yeah, that's an increasingly shrinking fandom. Did I say Warhammer? <laughs> Star Trek. Star Trek. <sighs> There's something for everybody. Yeah, nobody. mountaineering. British explorers. <laughs> Please uh, do us a favor. If you like the show, give us a rating and a nice review on iTunes uh, and subscribe. Uh, it makes a big difference in our rankings. Uh, I love to read the ratings. It gives me great joy. To, I hate it. Uh, Tanner hates reading it because he is deeply insecure and he's worried that someone's going to say something mean about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they don't. They mostly say mean things about old Uncle Jacko. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> this week, I have been Jack Shepard. I have been Tanner Greenring. Claudia's wearing a bra Club. now. <laughs> Claudia's wearing a bra now, and the way she talks, you would think that boys had just been invented. You are standing at a train track. Um, at a split in the train track, and, and on, you have a switch. Right, which you can divert the train. The train is hurtling out of control towards, let's say, Launchpad McQuack, Daryl from the hit movie Daryl, Kvoth from <laughs> Patrick Rothfuss's Name of the Wind. Uh-huh. Cap, uh, uh, pro- Captain, probably, um, Captain Mel. No, Captain Mel's too obvious. It would be, um, it would be uh, like a reaver. River Phoenix. Nope. River so- Song. River Song. That's Doctor from Who. Doctor Who. <laughs> it would be River Song from Doctor Who. <laughs> and uh um and Zephram Cochran. Yeah. The inventor of the hyperdrive. All right. very important people. And Poe Dameron. Right. From uh, Force Awakens. Okay. Good. Uh so they're all tied to this track. <laughs> this is a very standard trolley problem. Uh-huh. Um, and then you've got my attention. Oh, and Horace, the Roman the poet, leader of the um, Space Marines from Warhammer 40k. Um, okay, yeah. And then you can divert this train from hurtling towards them by flipping the switch. But if you do flip the switch, it'll divert the train and it'll hit one person. Who's that? Stacy McGill. Oh, flip the switch. <laughs> <laughs>